Good morning, my name is Jim Barcliffe. I'm the pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship. We're glad that you've chosen to join us to tune in today to take time out of your day to tune in. I just pray God's blessings would be upon you today, but also that the miracles of God would just uh, be revealed in your heart to realize we serve a supernatural God and he is powerful and he wants to touch his children. And I pray today that you would be touched. Everybody here today, the word of God is truth. It's this is it's, obviously it's living and sharper than a double-edged sword. And it pierces to the very conscience, obviously. And he he said the word of God can do these things. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply the word of God to our hearts and speak to each and every person listening. Maybe it's healing today. I was just talking to the congregation here about healing. There seems to be a, a, a time God does heal continually but there seems to be a time where we don't understand that God seems to be pouring his spirit out to heal even a greater measure and that could be that we're in that particular time we're praying for people and we're seeing people today get healed and also delivered so we pray that you would be healed today and ask you to pray for those that need to be prayed for and just believe God for healing and touching their life but also most of all the ultimate healing that is salvation that he would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So by the end of the sermon, I pray if God is doing something and speaking to you, I pray the commitment that you would make that you before him because God is here and God is with you watching and that you can yield your heart to him and receive Jesus into your life and trust him for your eternal salvation. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us the privilege of coming together in the precious and holy and mighty and majestic name of Jesus. And we come before you, Lord, and we just say, this is your word. You are the word. Jesus said, I am the word. And and dear God, today, we just pray that you would do mighty miracles in our midst today in this church and those who are watching through live streaming and other means. We ask you today to bless us. Speak to us. Let me get out of the way. And let your word and your truth go forth and uh, that it would touch us and our lives would be changed forevermore. Heal us, deliver us, save us. And dear Lord, put us on the path that you desire. Let us grow up to be more like Jesus. May he be glorified, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we invite the Holy Spirit to come. He's welcome here. Amen. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Uh, kind of a lengthy scripture. We're going to read it together. But remember last week we talked about uh, the situation with Ruth and Naomi. And uh, Naomi, was come, they were coming back into Bethlehem out of Moab. Uh, Moab was a country of idols, uh, did not worship the God that the Jewish people worship, uh, Jehovah God, Yahweh, and uh, they came back. Remember, Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons, and she was a bitter old lady. And uh, we know that obviously uh, there were things that God was doing in and through Naomi and also through Ruth. Remember what Ruth said? Ruth was from Moab. She had been a part of the country there that worshipped idols and uh, Ruth, uh, as Naomi said, she's going back to her country. And remember, Ruth said something so phenomenal, obviously, that changed the course, really, uh, in the way I believe God desired history to go in the lineage of Jesus eventually. And that is when she said that your God, talking to Naomi, will be my God and your land will be my land. And so she went forward and she obviously... Uh, just grabbed the hold of Naomi and uh, went where she went. We're going to see how that develops and how important that is as far as even our relationship with, with Christ and uh, her kinsman redeemer. We'll talk about that. Anybody ever wondered what that means, theologically what that means, the true meaning of kinsman redeemer? We're going to be talking about it here in the next couple of weeks. So let's read it together. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters and the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. And Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, she is the Mo Moabitess who came uh, back from Moab with Naomi. 
And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, who under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to her men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And so Ruth gleaned in the field until an evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Thank you, Lord. Great things in the story about who God is. The title of the message is How Our Heavenly Father Takes Care of His Children. And the one thing about it is so encouraging here and what God is speaking to us as far as the relationship between Ruth, who was uh, from Moab, and then also uh, Naomi and Boaz. And Boaz, obviously, we'll see in the next couple of chapters how he obviously was her kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Isn't that good news? Amen. And the lineage there and what happened. And so we want to see here, and certainly in verse 3 in the King James Version, it said that tells us that Ruth happened upon the field of a prominent man named Boaz. In other words, what we read here, because the conversation was between Ruth and Boaz. And it says that Ruth just happened upon the field that was Boaz. And that Ruth obviously had favor and found favor there with Boaz and vice versa. And so have you ever thought about it in your own life, in my life, as you think about it? Did something just happen that you think that sort of like, hey, that must have been a coincidence. Or maybe that was just a happenstance. Have you ever thought that before? I just want to tell you today, there are no coincidences in the life of a believer. There are things that God allows in our lives. Sometimes they're not, they're not things that we anticipated. And there are things that obviously we do. And even the things that we do that sometimes obviously we know there are consequences to, God says in Romans 8, 28, that he can turn it around for the good. In other words, the Bible says in Romans 8, since God is for us, who can be against us? If the whole world is against us, if God is for us, God Almighty who spoke in creation into existence, then we know that obviously it doesn't make any difference who's against us, right? And so we see here a story that is not a coincidence. God is setting us up. Have you ever thought about in your life that you've been set up by God? You know, man, I've been set up. You ever felt that way? Well, you see, God sets us up in that way, but it's for our, our good, always for our good, because he always does good for his children. Think about it today. You think about our children. Would you ever do bad to them? You never would do bad to them, would you? You would always bless him. You would always do good to them. Now, some things you withhold because you not know it's in one way or another it may bring harm to them or whatever, but even that is for their good. But our Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Father. We're under a new covenant. We're under, obviously, uh, the blessings of God Almighty, the creator of all creation, the one who obviously wants that personal relationship with us. And he wanted it so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the world and whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And so we know there's no coincidences in the life of a believer. <clears throat> so we see here 
a very, very important story that is encouraging to me, and I pray that it will be important and encouraging to you. A little story here. Brenda was a young woman who wanted to learn rock climbing. She went with a group to climb a tremendous uh, cliff of rock. During the ascent, the climber above her snapped the rope against Brenda's eye and knocked out one of her contact lenses. Now, you know how tiny contact lenses are and, and how difficult it is to find them once you've dropped them. And here she was, very far from home, and everything around her blurry in one eye, somewhere up in the mountains and no place close by to, the, to replace her lost contact lens. She looked out across the range, at the range of mountains with her one good eye, thinking of that Bible verse that says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. And she thought, Lord, you can see all these mountains. You know every single stone and leaf on these mountains. And you know exactly where my contact lens is. And finally, the time came to hike down the trail to the bottom of the mountain. And when they arrived, there was a new party of rock climbers coming up the trail. And one of them shouted, hey, guys, anybody lost the contact lens? In astonishment, Brenda looked down at a contact lens, her contact lens that looked like hers. And the only way that she knew was to put it in her eye, and she did. And she found out that it was her contact lens. Well, that would be amazing enough in itself, wouldn't it? But the rest of the story is even more startling. When Brenda asked the young lady where she had found her lens, she said an ant was slowly carrying that contact lens across the face of a rock. Okay, an ant. Okay. You think about it. And so that story illustrates, I believe, the focus on chapter two of Ruth and the truth that God is not a God who is way out there. He's intimately involved in your life and my life. And when we really know that and we get it down in our heart of hearts, I want to tell you, it sets you free because you know that you can go through. Because see, so often we lose our joy and we lose that which God has. And we're to obviously thrive, not just survive and kind of tread water. We're to obviously just walk out. In faith and believe God for great things. Tell you a little story. Y'all know one of the stories I'm going to share with you in my own life. Uh, I had a particular presentation before a large group of people uh, that uh, of uh, uh, and when I was in hospice, and so I needed a particular book that I could use some of the references there in what I believe God was leading me to speak on. And I knew the book. I've read hundreds of books over the years. Just God's given me grace to do it. Okay, I'm not a reader, trust me. But God gave me grace when I went into ministry to read books. And I have a big, large uh, bookcase of books. And I looked high and low for that little book. Could not find it. And finally, I became so frustrated that I, I prayed. I said, Lord, you know where that book is. I said, I can't find it. Say, my, and you know I want to use that. Maybe you want me to do something different. And you're telling me to use a different topic. But I said... If you're going to show me, you, you show me. So I was in my chair, in my study, and I wheeled my chair around and my eyes went right straight towards in that direction. I got up and went over to the bookshelf and pulled two books apart. And there was that book. Now, let me tell you. God's intimately involved in our lives. We lost a credit card one time. And I could not find it. I thought I'd left it at a place where we had used it and so forth. I could not find it. I went in the car. I went in all my pants. I went through the house. I looked everywhere. I looked several times in the car. And finally, I sat down and I said, Lord, you know where that credit card is. I said, you know exactly. Would you show me? And I felt the Lord telling me just the impression, nothing, no voice or no audible thing, just the impression. Go back out and look in the car. I went back out and looked in the car, crawled in the back seat and went down and the credit card and looked and there was the credit card laying up close against one of the particular carpet stuff where you couldn't see it. But God just put my eyes right on it down there. Now, whether or not he, when I asked him, I couldn't find it. He put it there or whatever it was there to begin with. I had looked right in that place and it wasn't there. And God showed me. Have you ever asked God to do that? I'd encourage you. You can't do signs. Ask God. Why? It's because He's not a God out here somewhere to kind of beg and plead with Him to come and get involved in your life and my life. He's a God that's involved intimately. And we'll find out here so how importantly that is. He's very near. Intimately involved in the details of our lives. And now listen to this verse, chapter Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them shall fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of value than many sparrows. Now, some of us, like myself, we don't have much hair left. But what's left, he knows every hair on Jim Barcliffe's head. And he knows what every hair on your head. And he knows when every sparrow falls to the ground. Of course, I've not seen sparrows fall to the ground out there, but he knows what they do, okay? And he knows everything. And so what Jesus is saying here, aren't you much more important than those sparrows? Aren't you much more important in the relationship that he wants to have with you and me than even what he created out there? His creation, obviously, he is. He's intimately involved in your life and my life. And so I want to talk about three things here. When we talk about this particular story and we talk about it in terms of God's watch care. He never turns away from us. He never abandons us. He's here right now. He is here. And I pray that every word that comes from my mouth will be pleasing and honoring and glorifying to him. Because that's why we're here today, not so that I can sort of go through another message, although thank God for his word. Thank the Lord. But I'm here to obviously say everything that pleases Him. We're here to bring glory and honor to Him. And let me tell you, each one of you here today are glorifying the Lord more than what you realize. Do you know that God, I believe, is in heaven? If you could see, obviously, His physical statue, He's smiling in heaven and saying, I love my people come to worship me corporately in unity, in the bond of love. I just love that. And God, obviously, is very pleased with that. But the first aspect here that we observe in the story is the providence of God in verses 1 through 3. He talks about here. Naomi returned to Bethlehem, Judah, penniless. She didn't have anything. She didn't have any husband. She didn't have any. His son, her sons were gone. She had no way out. She was hopeless. <clears throat> and so she returns there. But her only asset, obviously, was her foreign daughter-in-law who had been raised up in a country of idolatry, idols and so forth. And so she didn't have that. But, but you see, Ruth had already said, your God is my God. I'm claiming right now, you know, and a lot of times today, you know, I think sometimes people in, in, out there and so forth and say, well, my my parents were Christians and so forth. And also, therefore, uh, certainly I believe I am, too. But see, in the kingdom of God, it takes a personal relationship. It takes you and me making that decision that I want Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. You can't get into heaven off of somebody else's belief system. You have to go because you claim, I believe, I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus died for our sins. And so we do believe that. And so what Naomi is coming in there is that she's, she comes back with nothing here. And so she's in a dilemma. You know, God usually works the best when our backs are up against the wall, when it looks like it's impossible. It looks like it's hopeless. God shows himself strong and mighty in those situations. Verse one. Naomi had a relative of her husband, a prominent man of noble character of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz here. This man, Boaz, we'll find out is the answer here. And you think it was all some kind of accident. It was a coincidence. No, it wasn't. And you see again in your life and my life, you're not here by coincidence. You're here by the divine will of God. Okay. And this little church over here called Lighthouse Fellowship on 3rd Street here in League City, Texas, you're not here because all of a sudden, all of a sudden you showed up. Thank God you did. But I'm glad that God, somehow there was a pooling on your heart. Now, again, um, I do believe God orchestrates. He's like that uh, one that, you know, a chess game. And you're, you're moving the chess fig figures there and so forth. And then finally, when you win the game, what do you do? You checkmate. You have the God is orchestrating things behind the scenes, even when we don't realize it. He's working in your life. He's working in my life, even when we don't realize it. Hallelujah. That's wonderful news today. He is for us, not against us. The Bible says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how much more along with Him will He give us all things? He gave us Jesus, so why wouldn't He bless us? He wants good to come to you and me. When all looks lost, when all looks just completely bleak, God is saying, don't give up. Persevere. Keep on moving forward. Don't give up. You see, the life of a Christian is about perseverance, isn't it? You know, at times we go, well, maybe I can throw the towel in. And then you go, no, I can't throw the towel in. I feel like that's going to be worse. I need God. And eventually God gives you a breath of fresh air and says, I can keep going. 
God is saying today that he is doing and up wonderful things. The first thing they were worried about was food. Okay. There was food that they could not, ha- they didn't have here in verse two. And Ruth there, the Moabitess, and uh, said unto uh, Naomi, let me go to the field and glean ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said unto her, go, my daughter, let me glean. What that is, is gleaning. In other words, the poor and those foreigners at that particular time actually uh, would go in a field. The people that harvested it would leave like some of the leftover, the residue, so to speak. That leftovers would leave in the field. And the poor people would come along and gather the gleanings up so they would have something to eat. And they would leave the corners. They were particular. In the, in the book of Leviticus, God commanded to do that. And so they wouldn't pick it all up. So God supplied for the poor. And actually, I believe it was God's welfare system back then. And that he supplied for God always takes care of us. He shall apply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Certainly here. And so we see, first of all, there are a couple things that he does here. The workers were not to go back through the second time and pick up any grain. They were leave after going through one time. They were leave the other. And then they were not to harvest the corners of the field. And what was left in the fields there would be called gleaning. Let those people come in. So Ruth is saying, I'm going to go over there and get something to eat. You know, and I'm going to come back because I'm going for Naomi. You see, Naomi's getting older. Ruth is younger. And so Ruth is blessing Naomi by going into the field. And so, again, every able-bodied, poor and needy would go through the fields there and they would glean from that and so forth. But they had to go out, you see. Those people who could not work, they were the only ones that got alms. In other words, they could not work. But those who were able-bodied, they actually would go out and glean, you see. And certainly it was not, obviously, take from the rich and give to the poor. It actually was every person that's able-bodied and able to work, obviously, they had to go out and work. And even though they were poor, that they were able to have things that would, would supply their needs, and certainly there. The Bible says, actually, if you don't work, you don't eat. A lot of people just want a handout today. A lot of people don't want to get out and work. They want somebody else to sort of just do it. And there's nothing wrong if they're not able to do it. We need to take care of our seasoned citizens, trust me, because some of them are not able to take care of themselves. But we know you're able to work. Get out and work, do whatever it may be. It may not be exactly what you would want it to be. And it may not be, obviously, where you'll wind up. But get out and do something because God will supply your needs. Why? It's because he's very faithful to take care of his children here. Verse 3, and she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Boaz just happened to show up, just happened. They're happening in your life and my life every day. If we'll pay attention, we'll see how God is orchestrating and God blesses us. Everybody here agree with that? Amen? Everybody else, God blesses us every day. Now, lots of trouble. Don't get me wrong. And he doesn't promise us that every illness, we pray for healing, God heals. He doesn't say we won't have troubles, okay? And he doesn't say that. But he says in the midst of the troubles that he will work it to make us more like Jesus. But he's blessed me. And he's blessed me way beyond measure. How about you? He's taking care of me way beyond measure, obviously. And I know you could say the same thing. They just happened here. You know uh, how many times coincidences or luck are found in the Scripture? Anybody know how many times in Scripture coincidence is found or luck is found in the Scripture? Anybody? Zero. Zero. No coincidences. The issue is, are we going to believe it? Are you going to believe that God is for you and not against you? That God has come to set us free? Ruth happened to come into Boaz's field. It wasn't coincidence. It was by God's design. Do you know in your life and my life that God's got a plan? Jeremiah 29, 11. And you think, well, I've messed it up, so therefore I've diverted God's plan and I've messed it up. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You come back and say, Lord, hey, I want your plan. And you know what God says? Hey, my child, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do it and I'm going to fulfill what, I, my, what your calling is in your life. And he's going to do it. And he'll get you right back on the path. You think, well, I've strayed off of that path. And I've done this and that. People today, you know, strayed and so forth. You know what God wants them to do? Just run back to Jesus. And do you know he's so readily available with his arms open wide that he'll receive those who just come back and turn. And the word is return. Just return. 
And God is so gracious to bring us back. No matter what it is. And no matter what people listening to today or people here today, if you feel like that you just have kind of run out of gas and so forth, you know, obviously Jesus is our filling station. Okay? God, we can get filled up again today. And God just says, come to me and open your heart and I'll just pour out my spirit in your life and I will again revive you and obviously waken you to the things of God. A newness, a freshness in your walk with Jesus today. That's what God is saying that he does, you see. I remember years ago when I worked for hospice, a lady, and she happened to be a Jewish, Jewish lady, she was in an accident. And I don't know why I remember this, but I remember it specifically. And she had been in an accident, and she realized that she'd been spared. And, uh, and she told me, she said, Jim, it must have been fate. Anybody ever heard that before? It must have been fate. No, there's not any fate. It must have been my karma. Anybody heard that before? That's not God. No, it's not your karma. God has us on a path to life, abundant life. It's not karma. And it's not faith. It's not luck. And it's not coincidence. God is maneuvering us into a place. Why? It's because it just happened upon it. Because he loves us so much. That's what God is saying through this. In one particular man's uh, definition of that providence. God's faithful and effective care and guidance of everything which he has made towards the end which he has chosen. Everything guiding us in that. God is for us, not against us, certainly here. That lost contact lens, the ant was taking that little thing and just running along with it. And that woman just happened to be there. Just happened to be there and see that little thing. That credit card just happened to be there. And God opened my eyes to see that credit card. Just happened to be that truck, that book that was covered over by every book that I had to pull back and look. And there was the book. Anybody here, just to make it real practical, anybody here ever lost your keys? Raise your hand. I have. Everybody. Okay. How frustrated do you get before either you get what? I mean, I, we can't find it. Or maybe somebody shows it to you. I knew that would get everybody's attention because all of us lose our keys. I don't know what it is about keys, but it is. And so forth. Let me just encourage you. After you obviously you come to the end of yourself, sit down and say, Lord, where are my keys? Where are my keys? You know where they are. You know exactly where they are. And let God speak to you. Why? Because he wants to reveal yourself, himself to you because he loves us. He's involved in those little details of our life, right? And that means even with our lost keys, okay? And you say, yeah, Jim, but I'm blundering through life and I'm losing this and I'm losing that and so forth. Ask God, Lord, I need help. You think God says that? You know, Jim, he doesn't tell me, Jim, you're a real blunderer, you know? And I, I, I've helped you for the last time. You asked me yesterday and you think I'm going to help you today? Yes, because that's who God is. He doesn't hold back. He helps us every day. Every moment of every day, if we'll just trust him and trust him. The second thing here is the aspect of God's watch care is God's provision here. Obviously, she went out. It says by faith. Did you come to church today expecting God to do something in your life? Did you come today believing that God is obviously going to touch your life today? Did you come with a, a real spirit and attitude of expectancy? Or did you just come and said, well, I'm here in church today. Jim, I'm just lucky to be here. Okay. I know, I know it takes something to get to church and it takes effort and so forth. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just saying, come expecting. Because Ruth went out by faith. She went out because she knew. Obviously, they were in dire straits. And she believed God. And God revealed Himself in a, a powerful way in verses 4-9. through nine. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. This is Boaz. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said, to his servant who was in charge of the reapers. And he says, who's the young woman? Who's this lady here? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered him. He said, it's the Moabite woman. It's Ruth who came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And so she came and has continued from the early morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, will you listen, my daughter? Do not go to glean in another field nor go from the here, but stay here close to my female servants and see which field they're harvesting and follow them. And I've ordered the young men, don't they lay a hand on you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. I mean, here God is supplying her every need. 
He said, don't go over that field because that doesn't have as many gleanings in it. But go to where my servants there are doing it because that's a whole bunch of stuff over there. So Boaz is directing her to abundance. How many of you here have been abundantly, again, blessed by the Lord when you felt like, I don't deserve it at all? Can you tell me? Amen? I've been blessed and I don't deserve it. Okay? But because of what Jesus has done, He has made me worthy because of what He's done. Because all of us kind of live in the past and we go, well, you don't know what I've done, Jim. God knows, but it's under the blood. And God is saying the enemy keeps us captive by those things in our past and wants to set us free. But what he's saying here, go over here. There's a lot of stuff over here. You get all you need over here. So Boaz is directing. That's the way God is in my life. And I think sometimes, obviously, the Bible says he'll supply all of our needs and and his riches in Christ Jesus. But I want to tell you, God with me has gone even much farther than that. I'm telling you. Whatever, you know, I'm obviously I have a budget and so forth and all, but God has blessed me and he has abundantly blessed me. And it's so wonderful because that's who our God is. He's a God of abundance. The field that Ruth came upon was owned by a very gracious man, Boaz here. Ruth was an outsider. Think about it. Ruth was a foreigner, was not a part of Boaz's family, was not a part of, obviously, they're the Jewish people. She was a complete outcast. And she was obviously distraught because they didn't have anything to eat. How many of you here know and see a picture of Jesus here in this story? You see, Jim Barcliffe was an outcast. Jim Barcliffe did not deserve salvation. Jim did not deserve the freedom that Jesus brought Jim. Maybe you could say the same. But what did he do? He extended his hand of grace and said, Jim, come into my kingdom. You're my child. I want you to live with me forever. And I want to help you through life, no matter what you've been, where you've been, what you've done, what's in your life. Maybe even now habits and things and and things that, that, that pull us away, no matter what. You see, we come as we are because Jesus invites us. That's what he says. I have an abundance for you, Jim. And I want to just pour my spirit out on you. And we see this picture here in this particular story here. She was an idolater. She'd come out of that country of idols. The wonderful thing about it is, obviously, none of us had anything special within us. But Jesus saw us. And he said, you're special to me. And I want you to know that for all eternity. That's the blessing. Verses 14 through 19. And Boaz said to her, At mealtime, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat beside the reapers and she passed her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And let some of the handfuls fall on purpose here. Okay, get it? And leave them for her to pick up. And do not reprimand her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. Beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephra of barley. Now, according to what that is, the measurement of the ephra is about a bushel. But actually, I believe it's even more than that as you think about it spiritually. Do you know, obviously, that barley could have just covered Ruth. Could have covered her. And do you know in your life and my life right now, the Holy Spirit covers you and me. He gives us an abundance like we can't even contain it all, can we? There's so much going on and so many blessings that God has given us that he just wants us to thank him for it and praise him for it because this is who he is. The picture is very clear here. And she took it up and went into the city. Mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she brought out what food she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you, where'd you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Boaz here. And so think about it today. The laborers were taking the gleanings and then dropping them so that when Ruth came and walked by it, she had she didn't have the struggle so much. She gave so much. You see, again, a picture of Jesus 
and how he abundantly blesses us. And you know what? If Jesus never did anything for Jim or you, do you know if you're saved and sitting here today, or you're watching this today and you have faith in Jesus Christ, he has abundantly blessed you. He doesn't really have to give us anything else, you see, because eternal life is most important in anybody's life. We sometimes forget it because we get caught up in this world and we think that sometimes these temporary things that we buy into houses, cars, money, jobs, whatever it may be, and we think that is where it's at. No, it's not. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ most abundantly today. And this is what he's trying to say through this story. <clears throat> they deliberately dropped handfuls of the stalks of barley deliberately Jesus deliberately goes before us and makes a way when it doesn't seem to be a way isn't that true it's called provenient grace he's in tomorrow he's in the next day and he's in next weekend why not because of anything good within me but because he's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and he loved me and I received that love through Jesus Christ that's all it was, you see. You know, that's what God does for us. He gives us extra handfuls on purpose. God only promises to supply our needs, but he goes way beyond that, doesn't he? God gives us those handfuls on purpose. Psalm 37 says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. God always takes care of us, doesn't he? Always. Obviously, we have plenty to eat. Actually, sometimes too much to eat, right? Now, I'm not looking at any of you here. I'm looking at myself. You know, I'm patting my own stomach. We have too much. But God supplies it. The third thing. It's God's watch care here. It's God's promotion. Psalm 75. For promotion or exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge putting down one and lifting up another. Obviously. Everything God does. He sees, he saw Ruth taking care of her mother, his, her mother-in-law and God rewarded her. We do little things we think God doesn't notice and yet he does. We do something that we don't think of, it, of any significance and God notices he does. You know what he does? He notices our praise and worship too. He notices us saying thank you, Lord. All the small things of life, even the small things of life. You see, what happens here is at times I remember in manufacturing or in ministry, whenever it may be, I always felt like, hey, I, maybe I had to really show myself. I, was, I have high work ethics. And I know that sometimes we want promotions. It's normal. But I never, I, I felt like I just couldn't make it. I couldn't strive. I mean, I was striving and so forth. It's kind of like the Lord said, don't you think that I can promote you when I'm ready? You know, God is our promoter. And a lot of people will, will connive and thrive and scratch and, and tear and to get to the top and all that. And God is saying, don't do that. Let me promote you. Be faithful with what I've given you. I will promote you. And that's what he did with Ruth, you see. And Ruth, obviously, was in the lineage of Jesus there. When, obviously, we'll see later on, there she married Boaz here. She was selfless in her actions. And so they don't go unnoticed by God. Feeding a bunch of people Friday night. People working. People coming. It doesn't go unnoticed, let me tell you folks. And sometimes we think, oh gosh, what are we going to do? And obviously we think, well, if it's uh, you know thousands here and thousands there and all that. No, God doesn't look at numbers at all. Let me tell you today. He looks at our hearts and see whether or not we're going to be faithful with what we have. And that's true for any church. Any church. We're not a mega church, but we're here serving and we're here glorifying Jesus, okay? And God looks at it and says, and I'm pleased because of that. Our hearts are set upon Jesus Christ. So then she fell on her face, verse 10, and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. Boaz, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law again, and, and so forth. I've recognized. And I want to reward you. One day we'll stand before the King of Kings. And Lord, Lord, we will be judged. Not in the great white throne judgment. As unbelievers will be. But in Christ's judgment. He will be. And what we did for him. Not to gain our salvation. Because it's by grace. He gives that to us freely. But for what we've done. 
as we love Jesus. Amen. And the small things we did and the big things we did. Because sometimes we don't we can't do all the big things that we want necessarily. But do what God calls you to do and he will reward you. It is not going unnoticed. And he did. Obviously, in this case, Ruth was encouraged by Boaz. And you know what? When we see people serving the Lord like this, we need to recognize and thank them and encourage them, don't we? Because we should be encouraged today. You should be encouraged one another. I encourage the ministry here of every one of you in this place today. And those of you watching by live streaming, you have a ministry. There's a call on your life. And God desires for you to know that he encourages you. So Boaz encouraged Ruth and we need to encourage others. Thank God for his loving watch care. A story here at the end. The passengers on the bus here. Let me just back up. Reading a story by U.S. Army chaplain Jerry Venter that was so vividly portrays for us the watch care of God upon our lives as believers. The passengers on the bus watched sympathetically as the young woman with the white cane made her way carefully up the steps. She paid the driver and using her hands to feel the seat walked down the aisle and found the seat he told her was empty. And then she settled in, placed her briefcase on her lap, and rested her cane against her leg. It had been a year since Susan, a 34-year-old lady, became blind. Due to a medical procedure and misdiagnosis, she had been rendered sightless, and she was suddenly thrown into a world of darkness and anger and frustration and self-pity. And once a fiercely independent woman, Susan now felt condemned by this terrible twist of fate to become a powerless, helpless burden on everyone around her. She said, how could this have happened to me, she said. Her heart nodded with anger. But no matter how much she cried or ranted or prayed, she knew the painful truth. Her sight was never going to return. A cloud of depression hung over Susan's once optimistic spirit and just getting through each day was an exercise in frustration and exhaustion. And all she had to cling to was her husband, Mark. And Mark was an Air Force officer and he loved Susan with all of his heart. And when she first lost her sight, he watched her sink into despair and was determined to help his wife gain the strength and confidence she needed to become independent again. Mark's military background had trained him well to deal with sensitive situations, and yet he knew this was the most difficult battle he would ever face. Finally, Susan felt ready to return to her job, but how would she get there? She used to take the bus, but now she was too frightened to get around the city by herself. And Mark offered to drive her to work each day, even though they worked at opposite ends of the city. At first, this comforted Susan and fulfill Mark's need to protect his sightless wife, who was so insecure about performing the slightest task. Soon, however, Mark realized that this arrangement wasn't working. It was hectic, costly. Susan was going to have to start taking the bus again, he admitted to himself. But just thought the thought of mentioning it to her made him cringe, and she still was so fragile and so angry. How could she react? How would she react? And just as Mark predicted, Susan was horrified at the idea of taking the bus again. I'm blind. She responded bitterly, how am I supposed to know where I'm going? I feel like you're abandoning me. Mark's heart broke to hear those words, but he knew what had to be done. He promised Susan that each morning and evening he would ride the bus with her for as long as it took until she got the hang of it. And that is exactly what happened. For two solid weeks, Mark accompanied Susan to and from work each day. He taught her how to rely on her other senses, specifically her hearing, to determine where she was and how to adapt to a new environment. He helped her befriend the bus drivers who would watch out for her and save her seat. And he made her laugh, even on those uh, not-so-good days when she would trip exiting the bus or drop her briefcase. Each morning, they made the journey together, and Mark would take a cab back to the office, although... This routine was even more costly, and Mark knew it was only a matter of time before Susan would be, would, would be able to ride the bus on her own. And he believed in her, in Susan, in the Susan he used to know before she lost her sight, who wasn't afraid of any challenge and who would never, ever quit. Finally, Susan decided that she was ready to try the trip on her own. Monday arrived, and before she left, she threw his arms, her arms around Mark, and her temp, temporary bus riding companion, her husband, and her best friend, 
Her eyes filled with tears of gratitude for his loyalty, his patience, and love. And she said goodbye. And for the first time, they went their separate ways. Each day, for a whole week, all on her own, went perfectly. And Susan had never felt better. She was doing it. She was going to work all by herself. On Friday morning, Susan took the bus to work as usual. And as she was paying for her fare to exit the bus, the, the, the driver said, boy, I sure envy you. And so Susan wasn't sure if the driver was speaking to her or not. And after all, who on earth would envy a blind woman who had struggled just to find the courage to live for the past year? Curious, she asked the driver, why do you say that you envy me? And the driver responded, it must feel so good to be taken care of and protected like you are. What do you mean, she asked. And the driver answered, you know, every morning for the past week, a fine looking gentleman in a military uniform has been standing across the corner watching you when you get off the bus. He makes sure you cross the street safely and he watches you until you enter your office building. And then he blows you a kiss and gives you a little salute and walks away. You're one lucky lady. Her husband was standing over there and she didn't realize it. The picture is of Jesus. Even when we don't see Him. Even when we don't realize Him. He's standing there. And He's watching over us every moment of every day. And when we get on that bus of life and we're blind as a coot, Jesus is there. Protecting us, providing for us, and putting us at a place where we can be used by Him in preparation, not just in this life, but in eternity. When you say that God is good and He's good all the time, we can say that with complete confidence here today, can't we, church? Can't we? We can say God is good. And He's good all the time. And even when we don't realize it, even when we obviously are most frustrated in life, even when life has, has obviously given us a, a bad rap, so to speak, and everything around us is falling apart, we can say we have a God. He's standing there. And He's watching over every move that we make. The greatest blessing that we could ever know there's no other religion, there's no other belief system that has that assurance of knowing that their God is with them. In fact, they try to work. They're still working, striving for their salvation. That they may get there before their God and the scales of justice will tip in their way. They've done more good than evil. But our God doesn't grade on a curve like that, does He? He comes and gives us that grace abundantly without reservation, without holding back, just saying, I love you. And I just want you to be with me throughout eternity. I always thought about that. Yeah, I thought, God, you mean to tell me that you want me to be with you throughout eternity and you want to start that relationship right now? And God has always assured me, yes. Yes, Jim. I want you to know that. And so as I pray for people today who don't know Jesus and there's a spiritual void there within their hearts that's never been filled with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, my heart grieves because there are many who have no idea what I'm talking about today, but you know, because you're here and you have an open heart to listen and receive what God has for each one of us. But there are many today have no idea about Jesus Christ. The fields are ripe for harvest. I believe that the time that you and I have to pray for other people, to, to share our faith with other people, to believe God for great things. And I believe today is He's calling you and He's calling me. Because you see today, all I'm responsible for is myself and the same with you. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. God is saying today, 
We need to gear up and be ready. And not just wait again, because the disciples said, hey, the harvest will be ready in a few months. I know Jesus said, They're right, it's right now. It's now. Don't wait. Pray for those family members. Not just for healing, but also for the ultimate healing, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. Pray for them. Well, whoever it may be, God puts it on your heart and ask God that he would touch them. You don't have to have some theologically correct prayer. Just ask the Lord, touch them. They need you. Thank you. God is good. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you for this wonderful day and your wonderful word. And we, Lord, thank you for your wonderful son who gave his life for us, for all of mankind. And whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, today we pray all over this city that revival would take place in Houston, Texas and all of the surrounding counties, dear Lord, today. In the name of Jesus, pour your spirit out, Lord. We need a fresh wind. We need a holy anointing. Pour your spirit out, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your providence. And thank you for your protection. And Lord, we will praise you throughout eternity. I pray today, Lord, that your church would arise, O oh God. And dear Lord, let our lights shine that other people may see, Lord. Our God, high and lifted up, that you may be honored and glorified. And today, Father, we pray our church would arise. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody listening here today, always an opportunity. I offer an invitation that you would invite Jesus Christ in your life. God waits. He won't just obviously just pour it there. But when you ask, he will come in like a flood and he'll change your heart and life. He'll change your attitude. He'll change your words. He'll change your actions. He wants to obviously come into your life. And anybody here, I just invite you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And save me. I need salvation. I know it only comes through Jesus Christ. And I want him to come and save me. And set me free. I pray you prayed that prayer today. And that you would receive and believe in your heart. Obviously confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. Thank you for watching today. Thank each and every one of you for being here. I pray blessings upon your life. I bless you. And bless you watching. I pray that you will come in. Tune in next week. And that we'll again uh, be in the book of Ruth. And uh, again we've got Mother's Day coming up. I pray and thank God for all of our godly. And godly and mothers all over this country. And around, around the world. And uh, what God is doing in and through each and every one. God bless and have a wonderful day in the Lord. Amen.